Welcome to EarthWise, the official podcast of the Maine Primitive Skills School. In this show, we will pass along information and story designed to increase your nature literacy and improve your fieldcraft. From survival to foraging, tracking to bow making, we will present skills that are relevant to you through the seasons, consistent with approaches found the world over from when our ancestors lived closer to the laws of nature. Each year we go out to Sweden to learn from the Sami on their land, which is just amazing. Immediately you're impressed by the the bounty of food on the forest floor. It's just quite literally a carpet of berries. And the moose that they harvest each year outnumber the moose that exist in all of New England. Just to give you an idea of the amount of biomass that happens when a people inhabit an area over thousands of years and interact with it responsibly. So hunter-gatherer nomadic folks with larger craniums, better diets, and a more visceral learning curve interacted with their landscape with a multi-generational perspective because to do otherwise would mean certain starvation, uh, conflicts with your neighbors, cannibalism, infanticide, and these are very powerful deterrents. I have a really great opportunity this uh, time around because my friend Jonas, who is Sami and who has helped share uh, with our groups going over who want to learn how to reconnect with the landscape, is here with us today and he's been here for two weeks exploring our landscape and giving his perspective. And I just want to share his perspective with you today regarding our modern landscape our ancestral wisdom, and how we might reconcile the two. So you came to the United States and uh, had two scoops of freedom. Yeah, every day. <laughs> and what did you think of this place? Uh, it's really amazing. It's uh, uh, You could think of it as different, but same at the same time. So nice. there's some, especially in the nature, there's similarities and there's also differences. Mm. But they're they're kind of related in some way. Your trip here was it, it, it was a sampling of a very small population of people who are working to learn about being a a productive member of our biome of our earth. In other words, they it's not survival; it's earth living, and it's not about the struggle. It's about maintaining comfort, and the struggle is something that teaches you to adjust. How does that compare to Satmi, how the the people of the the Northern Lights, so to speak, the, the folks who have tended that landscape? Now, where do you see where you're coming from in comparison to what we're doing here? So, from my perspective, I see that back home, uh, it's more of a strive to to be more efficient and modernize things. So things like a bow drill, I've never been taught on how to use or how to make or any of like the basic building stones of the primitive skills. Mm. So instead it's been focused on adapting some modern technologies uh, while being in the nature at the same time. Okay, now you're still, f- you're still working with the reindeer, you're still um, part of that lineage. Do you see that as a good thing or a bad thing? What, what are the pros and cons of putting down a lot of the old technologies? I mean, it's easier to move, right, with a snowmobile than it is on skis, but is there something lost in that 
Yeah, I think so. It's a, a kind of a, a really deep connection to the nature. It is starting to get lost when when you drive snowmobiles and you fly helicopters and, and drive cars and, and whatnot. Mm. So uh, uh, that's really interesting to see that here in, in Maine, this school is headed for like the opposite direction, striving back to the building blocks of this nature connection with uh, bow drills and making shelters out of only nature things that the nature provides. Mm. Uh, and being really close to to the nature. All right, thanks. I I was wondering about the pace of life in general increasing with we say convenience kills here and we're not saying that technology is bad, but it's misuse for convenience instead of uh doing things better has certainly had its cost. Do you see that here in the states and do you also see it kind of growing in in Satmi, the the technology bringing a faster pace and, and some sort of effect that we should be aware of? Yeah, especially with the modernization, everything is, is so close. Like, think of a supermarket or a, uh, a food store. It's really close. You can just grab your car in 5-10 minutes and you can have a meal in your belly. Mm. Uh, that's like a, a thing I see. So when you're out in the woods and you don't have, you can't just get in a car and, and 10 minutes later, your belly is full. Right. So that's kind of a, uh, a connection that's being a bit lost and uh, people just don't know like what it's like to be in the nature. And, you know, you start to prioritize other things instead because it's so convenient. Like for a lighter, if you're making some kind of fire or lighting a candle, whatnot, you can just light the candle in a few seconds. Mm. But if you didn't have a lighter, how would you go about it then? It's those things that we we kind of rely on uh, technology too much. Mm. That when and if it, it breaks or is gone somehow, we will stop functioning. Yeah. Uh, it will be difficult times. It's hard, right? Because on this landscape, there's paved roads and there's telephones and there's things. And it's easy to say, well, we rely on these things to make a living. And I guess it's always going to be here. What would be some of the important pieces? And it's funny because we're, my ancestors are 500 years plus detached from the landscape, their home landscape, and now on this new landscape. And the people who originally tended these gardens or forests, they're detached for the same amount of time. And there's this grief that happens when you're detached from the landscape, especially with the history we have. I can't talk as comfortably with the Penobscot, the Maliseet, the Mi'kmaq, the Passamaquoddy, the, the, the nations of the Abnaki Confederacy. Their grief is on this land and it's fresh. You know, their ancestors are still here. Um... Whereas I can go to Sweden and talk to you because we don't have a relationship built on all of that blood, you know, and all of that heartbreak. And it seems like, for me, the difficulty is in reconnecting not only to the earth, but to each other. And to look at technology as something that's going to be here and maybe approach it in a different way. Do you have any insights on 
what you see in, in your landscape and some of the best possible outcomes that you're looking toward? Um, let me put it this way. In my observations, I've seen that the Sami people and the community is, is very close to each other, even families. And, so, and it's needed for herding the reindeer. It's a, it's a need to get along and work together with each other. And I think that part is, is getting more and more lost uh, when you step out of the, the reindeer herding and the Sami people into like a modern society, you could say, that uh, the connection to others are not as important anymore. Mm. The subtle but critical value of communities, neighborhoods, uh, parents who talk to each other about their kids in a in a way that produces better children being brought in a neighborhood of connection sounds like without need we lose its value. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, it's it feels like that way. That when when you don't need need to work together with anyone, mm -hmm. you kind of lose that connection to it, even if it's. Uh, like, like if it's your your kid, you still have to work together for different things. It might not just be work, but uh, like normal everyday things, you're still working together. And it's starting to be like lost with like neighbors and in people that live even further away. Uh, you don't really have that connection all the time, which uh, which I think can be helpful for for everyone to to bring in and be a part of a, a community. I've seen the symptoms of that disconnect, and tell me if I'm wrong, but it, here in the States, if somebody's in the woods, you know, and someone else is coming up in view, and maybe they don't even know that the cabin is there, but the person in the cabin peers out the window in the distance, sees somebody, and suddenly the dramatic music comes on, and they go find their rifle, and they get, you know, they get ready to defend themselves. And then the person who's coming up suddenly sees the cabin, and you'll hear, hold it right there! You know, it's in all the films. And, and there's also an attitude of good fences make good neighbors. Is that the way it is in a, in a culture connected to the landscape? Are you, when you're out in the woods, are you fearful of your life when somebody approaches and treat them like, a, like a, an alien? How, how does that unfold for you? Just to, to give you, this is what a baseline, not for everybody, a baseline in a large part of the United States exists in this way. Um, and I was wondering if that's the same, if that holds true in a culture that hasn't lost its connection to the land. Uh, it's uh, almost the other way around. If you, in Saumi, if you're in a cabin and you see someone approaching, you're happy that they are approaching. They might have some... Uh, some milk because you just ran out of milk if you've been there a few days and you can offer them a meal and maybe they'll share the milk with you and so it's more of a, a cooperation and not that much uh, like stay away from my cabin it's more like oh you're here welcome who are you and my name is is Jonas what's your name and and so on it's a more uh, inviting atmosphere I would say okay well, what would how do we get there how do we get back to that point with all of these fast cars and depressing news cycles and the book of face and 
all of these things that seem to be dividing minds. What, what would, all right, so if you're the doctor, how would you prescribe uh, a return back to healthy ways? That's a big question, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I'm still trying to figure that one out myself. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I would say that uh, if you're in a rush and feeling rushed all the time, need to do this and that, um, you might need to like gear down a few gears or at least one mm -hmm. and take a deep breath and, and think about things like, is this really important to me? Or, like, do I really need to put energy into all these things or can I just choose a few uh, that are really important to me uh, and to like slow down uh, you can just go out in a park or just in some forests you know a bit uh, aside from from houses and, and roads and such and just just stand there for five minutes and, and just take it all in the the silence the calmness and um, hopefully you'll feel that it's a it's a strong silence, that uh, it's a, like a calmness nice. that will settle in. That's right, in sync with what Grandfather Ray would say. He would say, "Never hurry, never worry, and never force anything, and encourage people one present breath, at least once a day." Right. That's a, that's a good thing, man. I'm glad you said that. Because it's vital, meaning essential to life processes. And without it, it seems, it seems to me that we're in a state of flight or fight for more than we should be. Sometimes entire days at a time. Sometimes those days spill into weeks and months and years. And at the end of a career, you see these bedraggled, exhausted souls their bodies just limp and flaccid and soft and squishy from making a living instead of being truly alive. Does, does that sound like I hear you right? Is it, am I on the right track with that? Yeah, you are. And also I'd like to think of this uh, like taking a, a deep breath and kind of slow down and, and think about what's really important to you. Uh, it's like a, a juicy fruit that grows from a tree. Uh, so when it starts to grow, it's not ready for to be picked yet. Mm. So you need to be in a right state of mind, you could say, to be able to 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 slow down. You could say. So so you need to to wait for the fruit to grow and, and become this juicy fruit before you can pick it. So no. it, it's about being in the right place in in your life, and and the other part with the community, I would see it as as picking this juicy fruit, and finding a basket, and collecting all other juicy fruits and bringing them together in a community. Well said, I like that. Yeah. You know, we had a campfire last night and it got pretty tense for a while because there's so much angst and pain and, and story of us versus them, you know, and it became an issue a little bit. But I think the folks talked themselves through it to the other side. And um, just listening to you talk about community, community's hard work, man. People don't realize they talk about survival being hard work. 
you know, a debris hut could take 8 to 12 hours the first time you build one, but that's nothing compared to the work, the daily work that community takes. I just, like you said, the fruits that are produced from community are amazing. It's not just who you know, it's what you can craft together. It's a lot deeper understanding of of the concept of people living by tending their own personal sacred fire and being, as you said, in the right space in your life where you can then share the bounty of your life with others who are doing the same. It becomes a banquet. Yes, very much so. How do we do that? How do we get to these folks who are convinced there's no way to get time in the woods? Or here's a new one that it takes, you have to be a rich person to spend time in the woods. When I was a kid, it was because we had no money that I was in the woods. If I had money, I'd be roller skating or uh, doing what all the other kids did. But I loved being in the woods. And after a while, I'd rather be in the woods. It didn't take long. Um, and so, but nowadays, it's so hard to get to nature for some people. I like that. Just stop and listen. I mean, there's even pigeons in the cities, right? It's hard sometimes when everyone's running around you, though. Maybe we should... Maybe we should write a field guide to survival in the city. Not urban survival, like grid down, but day-to-day how to heal. Does that... Would you, what would you put in a book like that? That would be interesting. Yeah, honestly, I'm not sure about what I would put in the book, but uh, I have this feeling that uh, it's like this fruit growing. It needs where it's hard to appreciate the landscape there's always something there's always some small thing it's not about the quantity of each year we go out to sweden to learn from the sami on their land which is just amazing immediately you're impressed by the the bounty of food on the forest floor it's just quite literally a carpet of berries and the moose that they harvest each year outnumber the moose that exist in all of New England. Just to give you an idea of the amount of biomass that happens when a people inhabit an area over thousands of years and interact with it responsibly. So hunter-gatherer nomadic folks with larger craniums, better diets, and a more visceral learning curve interacted with their landscape with a multi-generational perspective because to do otherwise would mean certain starvation, conflicts with your neighbors, cannibalism, infanticide, and these are very powerful deterrents. Thank you for joining us around our electronic campfire. It is our intent that the time you invest here increases your bounty and encourages more mutually beneficial relationships between you uh, your landscape our and the rest of our community. To learn now go out there, enrich the, the world, have fun doing with it, us today, and, don't and he's get been caught. here for two weeks exploring our landscape and giving his perspective. And I just want to share uh, his perspective with you today regarding our modern landscape, our ancestral wisdom, and how we might reconcile the two. <laughs> 